How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plugs Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me in studio for this edition of the Third Line Plugs Sensecast, my co-host, Tim Jensie. Tim, how's it going, sir? Oh, it's going pretty good. Been on the island for a few days now. Yeah, enjoying it. Got to eat a lot of good fish, you know, living the life. Nice. Now you're just out here seeing family and old friends from school? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I was, well, it started out on Thursday where I went to... I came out here, like, the job reason is I was meeting with some professors from UBC. Okay. And I was meeting with some of my old profs the other day at UVic. And then I ended up going to Anime Revolution in Vancouver. Uh, it was it was kind of bad. And then uh, now I'm here. Okay. It's all better. <laughs> right. When you were saying that it was kind of bad, like, what are you talking about? Was it just lines were long, just not well organized? What was it? All of that, really. And I think this might be the worst criticism I've ever given to a convention in that I ran out of things to do, and I was kind of bored. Really? Where was the convention held at? Uh, Vancouver Convention Center, so right at Canada Place. Oh, shit. And the problem is there's just no content. So because of that, all the the lines for signings were insane. Okay. And it's, I mean, it's not insane by big con standards. Like, I was only waiting three hours for one signature. While at, say, Anime Expo in Los Angeles, if you weren't lining up for your ticket the night before, you weren't getting it. Right. But Anime Expo is 8,000 people. Sorry, it's 80,000 to 100,000 people. Mm -hmm. Anime Revolution, with the biggest air quotes available, is 20,000. Okay, so it's one of, like, the smaller anime conventions. Well, I mean, the thing is, is eyeballing that crowd... About maybe 5,000. So not. it's small. Very small. Okay, because I remember you were talking about the Anime Expo you went to last year with Chelsea. Yeah. And yeah, you were saying what it was like in the six figures for, six, seven figures for people? A six figure, yeah, like 80 to 110,000. Like a lot of people. Like a huge, huge, huge amount of people. Well, this one, it's, there's no 5,000 and uh, there's like no content really. Oh. And, uh, not to mention that there was they let in a pedophile. Okay, I know there's probably a story here. You gotta tell us. Uh, no, that's exactly it. Uh, they let in. There's a register, like some guy who's on a like on a sex offender list. Uh, you can actually check the. I'm not gonna drop the guy's name, but uh, if you look up Anime Revolution, it's all anyone's talking about, and you can check the guy's name on the Vancouver Police website. Mm-hmm. And uh, his rap sheet is really long, including prison time. Oh, Jesus. And a big, bright, not allowed near minors. Yeah, I was going to say for something like that, I'm surprised that even allowed him to do that because, as you were saying, he's a registered sex offender. Like, wouldn't you think that the Vancouver Police Department or whoever's running the event would see his name come up and they'd go, okay, well, we know that... Like, was there minors at the... Yes. Okay, so yeah, if there's minors there, obviously, wouldn't you think the organizer of this event would maybe see that on the ticket stuff? What's weird is this guy's gone to the convention and been barred from the convention before. And they still let, sold, him, sold him a ticket and let him in anyway. Right. Now, does it go by his actual name or did you go to the under? Oh, okay. He goes by his actual name, too. So, like, most people are like, how the hell did this happen? Or And uh, the uncharitable take is Anime Revolution doesn't care and just wanted the guy's money. But, honestly, <laughs> it's just kind of a, it's a funny story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, people are still going at the convention for that. Especially because their, fir- the first, their first comment on the public about it was, 
we recognize your concerns, but he's autistic, so we let him go. And for those listening at home, there is no known correlation between autism and pedophilia, just so you know. So it was a limp dick, like a limp dick response, basically. Chelsea's not here, but she wants, she really wants me to emphasize no correlation between autism and pedophilia. That one's going right out there. No, I know you're talking about that. Chelsea's not here. Now, unfortunately, she couldn't make the trip out west. Yep. Um, and I know you were saying that it's for something about school that... Yep. She, she, uh, she's working on her uh, proposal for her master's thesis. Okay. Yeah, and it's a ton of work. Oh, I would imagine so, man. I mean, because uh, she's been going at her master's for how many years now? Probably? About one. Oh, only one year? Yep. Now? Yeah, she started in September last year. Oh, shit. Okay. Mm. Yeah, so uh, she needed to get her nose to the grindstone because it's one of those things where it's like she was looking at her progress and it was going really well, really well. And then all of a sudden, here's this finicky issue with the proposal and it's, you know how it is. The last 10% takes 90% of the fucking time. Yeah. It's that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like anything, right? Like you would have like the beginning, the middle, the end. It's always the end is how... You need to finish strong. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, her intro's done, she's got her methods figured out, she just has to get all of the stupid P's and Q's in a line, and that's taking way longer than it has any business to, but this is academia. Fair enough. So Chelsea, if, if you're at home listening, once this episode is coming out, I know that I put out on our Twitter page, at Thirdline on Twitter, that with you and I getting together to do some episodes today, that I can't guarantee that shenanigans won't happen, all that I can guarantee is that if shenanigans do end up happening, the injuries will be minimal. So what he's saying is he's not liable if I come back with only one arm. Or a black eye. Yeah. Oh, it'd be cool if I got had a stub arm, though, hey? <laughs> or like a peg leg. Oh my god, you would be known as that guy. Yeah, that just roll up on a federal... <laughs> roll up to work. Federal government, uh, sir... Can you take off your leg? Arno. Make me leg. Yeah. That's an Arno dog. <laughs> so, Tim, the reason why that we got together today, obviously we're going to be doing a couple of off-season episodes, and after that we're going to be heading into season three of the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Now, that's hard to believe, right? Like, I know even we've been saying this last couple of years that, man, it was so good to go season one, and then last season we're like, well, you know, it's really good season two. We're in season three now. How the fuck did we do that? I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny. Even looking like we're in season three, I look at our interview wish list. We're almost halfway through that. Yeah. And we are currently in talks. We're not going to give the person's name. They're a really big name on the list. We're in talks with them right now. That's all I'm going to say. I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to jinx us. But if we can get this person, it would be a huge get for us heading into season three. Yeah, no kidding. I mean... We've had, like, we've had incredible interviews with this show, and it's honestly kind of impressive for two guys that don't even, out of their bedrooms, in not even Ottawa. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, and I mean, because, and the thing is, is, like, with these interviews, like, it's not lost on us. That's the number one thing, is that, yes, it's cool to talk to Ian Mendez, yes, it's cool to talk to Alex Marchand, yes, it's cool to talk to pan from the sense call-ups or trevor shackles or whoever it is mm. but the fact is that we've been able to do that and it's not lost on us because we're fans that's the number one thing is that 
you know, we're fans of the Ottawa Senators. We're fans of these people's work. And now we get the opportunity to talk with them on our podcast. Well, I think the same. I think the big token is, is it's not just that we're fans. It's that the, there's a lot of people that tune into it, listen to just two idiots ramble about the Senators for an hour or two each week. I know. And the fact that they're willing to set, share being a Sens fan with us. Yep. That's so cool. And because of that, I want to keep doing a bang-up job for season three, right? Absolutely, Matt. Because you know what? If we've got something good, we might as well keep her going, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks to everyone for sharing your weeks with us. Absolutely, Matt. We really hope that you enjoy... I hope you've really enjoyed our off-season episodes because they've been a lot of fun to do. And I think for us, I think we made the right decision to do an episode every two weeks instead of an episode every week. Because number one, it gives us a moment to let the episodes to breathe. Mm. It lets us breathe because now we're not, okay, we need to figure out what to do for this week's episode. And also, it's less work for me to put together because now <laughs> I only have to do one episode every two weeks. It's awesome. And I mean, it, it it's not sitting in my apartment boiling, just ripping off four in a row. <laughs> oh my god, I know. Last, like even last summer when we did those episodes... In a matter of three days, we banged out what? We did uh, Hockey Hall of Fame wish list. Two what ifs. Two what ifs. A shooting the shit. Shooting the shit, which. You know, uh, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, shooting the shit did come out. We did uh, video games. Video games. Free agency. Free agency was one, so that's six. And then we did a couple of others, which I can't think of right now. The Sun's what ifs. The Sens what is, man. Those episodes were... F- that, that was Those a lot fun. of work to put into that. Especially, not so much coming up with the what-if scenario, but going into detail about all of them all. Oh, good God. Yeah. So anyway, speaking about off-season episodes, what are we knocking off today, Ted? Well, Tim, this is actually an episode that you proposed to me because we were kind of kicking around the idea of a few other episodes, and you proposed an, ep- an episode idea following the trade of Mike Condon for the dead contract of Ryan Callahan. Mm-hmm. And this idea, it's been bouncing around in our heads as Sens fans for a while, and it became very obvious what the Senators were doing this offseason. The Senators are circumventing the cap floor. And you alluded to it with the trade for the, de- for the dead contract of Ryan Callahan, Callahan where the Senators trade, you could probably argue that the Cal- the Callahan trade is a reasonable hockey trade. The Senators get out of a shit contract by taking dead weight from another team. Mm-hmm. That's weaponizing cap space, and it cleans out the goalie logjam. Right. The harder one to justify is that is something like the Zach Smith for the Anissa Misimov trade. It is the definition of shuffling the chairs on the Titanic. However, the timing of the trade was bizarre. Because the trade happened July 16th. Who the fuck's trading in the middle of the summer? What we ended up getting, we realized that Anis, Anisimov's contract has an interesting timing for its bonus payouts. They were paid out literally the day before. Yeah, and the exact same thing. And uh, another trade happened earlier this summer was the trade that sent Cody Ceci and Ben Harper to the Maple Leafs for Nikita Zaitsev. 
And the reason why that the Nikita Zaitsev trade didn't happen sooner is because if it had happened sooner, the Senators would be on the hook for Zaitsev signing bonus. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because this is the first time where I can legitimately say this type of trading strategy is being deployed by an NHL team. Like, you, like we can't really consider cap floor circumvention in the years before the cap exists because I'm sure there were teams like Winnipeg before they moved to Phoenix just looking to save every dollar. Mm-hmm. But there was no rule holding them to, you must spend at least this much money on your team. Yeah, because the thing with the salary cap is that they have a hard number in place. This is the number you can spend up towards. Mm-hmm. That's fair, and that gives a lot of smaller market teams like the Edmonton Oilers actual legit money and a legit shot to build a winner. Mm. And what's interesting is this year we actually saw a lot of teams that were spending close to the cap floor do a lot of damage as well. Like Carolina had over $10 million of cap space and they made it to the com- the cup conference finals. Yep. Like that's just, that's just really good team building. Colorado had a similar amount of cap space. They won a playoff round. So teams that are managing their cap can do a lot with not paying a lot of money. And that's fair. What people are starting to notice is that there, there are some teams that have no intention of competing and thus are tr- really circumventing the spirit of every team should have a baseline of quality so it's fun for the fans. Mm-hmm. And I know that one team in particular, outside of the Ottawa Senators, who have been doing this over the last couple of years, and you and I are talking about it on the ride over, is the Arizona Coyotes. Mm-hmm. Because a few years ago, as you remember, they took on the dead contracts of Chris Pronger, Pavel Datsyuk, and most recently, Marion Hossa. And that was a way to boost up the cap hit without spending money. Mm-hmm. Because all of these contracts are insured. Yeah. So, if this player is injured and never plays again, the team's not on the hook for the money but they're on the hook for the cap hit. And Toronto is doing some... It's interesting because these dead contracts... Eh, there's a bit of duality around these dead contracts because on the other end, you can put them on long-term injured reserve to get some cap money back. Yeah. And that's what Toronto is doing with uh, bringing the David Clarkson contract, Mark two. And guys like David Clarkson and Nathan Horton who will never play hockey again. Yeah, and you can even put uh, Jeffrey Lowell on that list as well. And Robot Island. And Robot Island. Yeah, and then, sorry, go, talk about Mike Condon, and I know this is something you and I also talked about uh, off-air and off in the past, about Mike Condon, is that, you know, the argument could have been made that they couldn't, you know, they didn't have to make the Callahan trade, they could have just put Mike Condon on LTIR, and that could have circumvented or they the could've, that well. Or they could have bought him out. They could have. Yeah, like, that would be the legit, the legitimate thing to do is buy him out if you can't find a trade. But, again, the long tail of the cap. And I think this is really the question of, at this point, it seems fairly obvious, without getting into, let's talk about the actual numbers, because I don't think a team has ever done it like the Senators have this season. No. The cap floor this season is around six, I think it's either, it's $58.1 million dollars. This year, or is it up to sixty? My, I'm brain farting this I moment. Have a quick we'll have the exact number. Yeah, so I'm just going to quickly look this up. Okay. And... 
No, it's sixty million. Is it sixty million for the cap hit? Yeah, so cap floor. No, so and Ottawa is currently at sixty five million for their cap hit. Okay. So they are comfortably above the salary cap floor. Yes, because currently yeah, we're just over fifteen million dollars in cap space yeah. with a cap hit of sixty sixty five million dollars. But this is where things get fun. Start adding up the contracts that are insured. And looking at uh, bonuses that don't have to be paid but are counted towards the salary cap. You have about 8 or $9 million of contract that's just not going to be paid. Like, Marion Gabrick is never playing a game for the Senators. Nope. Ryan Callahan, never playing a game for the Senators. That's $9 million right there. Clark, Clark MacArthur's last year of his contract, that is another $4 million. And then you have uh, the rest is bonuses. So... That $65 million of cap hit becomes about $44 million of actual salary paid. Mm -hmm. Far, far below the salary cap. And I don't think I've ever actually seen a team do it that hard. No, but in fairness, outside of say, the Arizona Coyotes, we haven't seen a team that has an owner with such financial uh, woes and financial struggles that Eugene Melnick has right now. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it's coming up to is this is a distress, and what's interesting is the Arizona Coyotes. Like, what was interesting is when the Coyotes were saved. Next year they're in the playoffs. Yep. Like oh eight oh nine was that one of those years where they just pulled all these dead contracts. They're near the damn bottom in spending. Oh nine, two thousand nine, two thousand ten playoff team. Yeah, the next like couple of seasons they were a playoff team. With twenty eleven, twenty twelve, they went to the Western Conference Finals. Hmm. It's like, so it's very frustrating, and this is the big case for the Senators as well. It's very frustrating knowing that this is a team that had the talent to do stuff, mm -hmm. and now that's gone. And as much as, like, 2017 going to the conference finals was a bit of a fluke, it was, you have a fan base that has been completely disillusioned. Yeah. So I think the big question now becomes is, what can the league do and what should the league do that's true because the thing is is that the ottawa senators they're not doing anything against the rules because the ottawa or the national hockey league as i was saying before the nhl has given every team a number this is what you can spend up towards and this is the minimal that you have to spend too mm -hmm. so really that's just the cap hit that's not the actual money spent so, really, there are no rules in place for what the Ottawa Senators are doing. Now, given the recent acquisitions and recent transitions of the Ottawa Senators, the NHL could possibly look into this. Yeah, and we've seen this in the past with uh, Lou Lamorello's contract to Ilya Kovalchuk, which the, t which the NHL was so displeased with that they dinged, they dinged the New Jersey Devils a first round pick and find them. Yep. And the the Luongo contract with its escrow that Vancouver was hit with with Luongo's retirement. So the NHL does take salary cap circumvention in contract and CBA circumvention seriously. Mm -hmm. But the question is 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 what sanctions would actually make a difference? Like what's going to stop the team from behaving like this? That's true, and 
you know, as I'm saying, I mean, there are no rules, but the thing is, is that everybody knows about the financial struggles of Eugene Melnick, and the NHL, and you know, the NHL knows about this, because a lot of people don't realize that the end of, not this season, but the season prior, he got a loan from the NHL to meet salary in April. Yes. A lot of people don't know that, that he got a loan from the National Hockey League. The NHL knows about this. Mm-hmm. They know that he can't afford this. He knows he. They know he can't afford having the team, but he still does, and can barely afford maintaining the capital stock that he does in the arenas, and like outside of the player loans that the emergency loans that they're getting up, Melnick has been rolling short term mm-hmm. loan, and that's gonna pile up. But yeah. here's the thing: it's like, what can the NHL do short of stepping in and running the Senators? And for something that there's no explicit rules against, is would that be a precedent you'd want to see in the NHL? Like, such a heavy-handed answer. Mm. Uh, well, what's the thing is, and this actually could be an interesting point and a topic for the next CBA lockout discussion coming up here in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Like, this could be a thing that, okay, what are we going to do for teams like Ottawa in Arizona... Maybe not so much Arizona nowadays because they have a brand new owner just came in and he's putting a lot of money into the team. But teams like that with an owner who doesn't have the capital to run the franchise, could they now look into, if you don't have the capital, can we possibly either force you out or bring in somebody else? Yeah. And what would trigger that? Would, and I think salary, like salary cap floor... I guess it keeps coming to what do I want to see in the league? Because like, if the the league wants this thing, we do not want you to be just throwing shit together. Because that's what the Senators team is this year. Yeah, all it's, it is is just a team that's put together with duct tape and glue. That's essentially what it is. Because And we're looking at the roster right here. Now obviously the highest paid player is Bobby Ryan. That's at 7.25. But you look at the defense and I'm and you even look at this team. I mean, I'm looking at it and I'm like this is not a team that goes far. This is a team that might get 30 wins, maybe, if that. And this is what and the fan, like fans don't want to see that if they know like fans don't mind a losing team if you can sell hope. But when you've got a team that's not only bad, but it's nakedly trying to spend as little money as it can. Yeah. You can't sell the hope. No, and that's the thing, even with... Um, there was a recent interview Tom Shabak did for TSN 1200. Yeah. And the topic of his contract negotiations came up, and he says basically he has nothing to do with it. He lets his agent deal with everything. And a lot of people heard that and freaked out on Twitter, thinking, oh my God, we're going to end up losing Tom Shabbat as well. That's the same way we lost Eric Carlson, Mark Stone, Matthew Shane. We lost all these guys... Because Eugene Melnick's not willing to pay them. Now, of course, there's a certain exceptions. I mean, Matthew Shane wasn't going to stay here. That was a given. We knew that when he first came to Ottawa. That he, wanted he wanted to go to Nashville. That too, but he wanted to play for a playoff team. Mm-hmm. He wanted to play for a team that was going to go into the playoffs. That's why he came to Ottawa. Mark Stone is probably the big... Obviously, he's not as the big exception to Matthew Shane. Matthew Shane, we knew he was gone if we didn't make the playoffs. Mark Stone was money. Eric Carlson... Money. Money. But the thing is that there was a lot of baggage for Carlson in Ottawa post Monica Carrick. 
Because you look at everything, and the team really didn't. Outside of trading Hoffman, realistically, they really didn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you think you're not going to be able to afford to sign him, would you? And like that's the nakedly cynical nature of the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, and the fan base because you know, and I know people going, "Oh, wow, the Ottawa Senators fan base is so negative. They're so pessimistic." Well, you know what? Look at the team in the last five years. How many? What have we lost? Let's see: Carlson, Stone, Dezingle, Zabinajad, Alfredson, Alfredson, twice. yeah, Alfredson twice, and like think about it: we lost all these guys either because of Melnick, they want to play on a playoff team, or the fiancé. Yeah. But what's... And I think this is a thing, though, is, like, I don't think the type of sanctions that they put on contracts will work here. Like, what the fuck is taking a first-round draft pick going to do? No, it won't do anything. But the thing is, and... Given that the Ottawa Senators now we're in a position where we're so terrible, we can at least go and try to get a lottery pick out of it. Mm-hmm. And this is why I think 2019-2020 is different for a lot of Senators fans because we're coming into this season with our expectations so low about the team that honestly, if the Senators were to lose a game by two goals instead of three goals, that would be considered progress. Mm-hmm. And yeah... But I think the question, I think the question that I keep coming back to is, if a team is shedding salary, do we want an NHL who finds that unacceptable and intervenes? And I think, I don't think so. So like, I don't really see too many options other than letting the letting Eugene Melnick spin his wheels until he's obviously out of money. Yeah, and you know, and I know I think it was Colin Cudmore did a article not too long ago probably in the last week about a what if that Eugene Melnick sells the team within a year which doesn't make which to me when I think about it it wouldn't make any sense because he would be coming into some money in 2021 with the expansion mm-hmm. because obviously at the same way with Vegas when they came to the NHL in 2017 this uh the city of Seattle then their team would pay a fee to every team in the National Hockey League to enter yeah so Eugene Melnick will be getting. I'm not sure what the. I'm not sure what the number would be for the entry fee for each team. I'm, I'm not sure if you know that at all, but, uh, but yeah, Eugene Melnick would get that. But to me, I don't think it's enough to sustain. I think that's enough to maybe pay off some of his debts. And It'll float the team for a year or two. Maybe. If that, yeah. If that, because you know, and even looking, and I'm going coming back here, uh, 2021. So, so far we have, uh, let's see, uh, two, four, six, yeah, we have six RFAs, and that includes Thomas Shabbat, that includes, Colin White, if they bridge him. If they bridge him, um, Anthony Duclair, Connor Brown, and Christian Yaros. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of RFAs. Now, of course, the season after that, Christian Wolanin's an RFA, Logan Brown's an RFA, the real American Brady Chachak is an RFA, and Drake Batherson. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you could realistically see, like, if they come into money then, maybe that would pay their contracts at that time. What does this do for guys like 
Shabbat, who's an RFA after next season. Yeah, well, the Senators still have control of that contract, so you hope they sign, but the fact that Colin White still hasn't signed and Colin White doesn't have arbitration rights mm -hmm. is not promising. Yeah, and the funny thing is that we haven't heard anything over the summer about it, even though, and I think Colin White has talked to TSN about the negotiation, and apparently the negotiations are going well. Mm -hmm. And that's all that was ever said about it. Yeah. Tight lips, I guess. But it's hard because I don't really know what the NHL can do about this. Yeah, I don't know. But and I know that even on the show we've talked about in the past is that there are certain times the NHL could have been intervened with the Ottawa Senators, with Eugene's financial woes. He could have come in with these comments at the NHL Wonder Classic. He could have come out talking about insert any scenario, right? Yeah. They could have walked into this and been like, okay, what the hell are you doing? Ooh, the biggest one being LeBreton. Yeah, LeBreton flats falling through. And and I know that Urinating Tree, when he did his recent Senators video, he basically said in the video that the city and everything was willing to hand it to Eugene. But Eugene had to sacrifice. And Eugene was not willing to do that. Or he was unable. Yeah. And I think that's going to be... That's the thing going forward, right? Yeah. And I know that Eugene Mellick has a lot of... He's had a lot of run-ins with... TSN reporters like Ian Mendez and Brent Wallace and the Ontario Securities and Exchange Commission. Yeah, and <laughs> Ken Warren. Like he's had these interactions with these people who have not had the best thing to say. Now, in fairness, Ian Mendez was at least respectful to them. Mm -hmm. Respectful to Pierre about what um, when he had Pierre Doran post trade deadline. Brent Wallace calling him out. Okay, I could kind of see that, but that was just. Maybe that was just a scruntled figure, right? Mm -hmm. But I think, and this is the thing about the Senders, is Eugene Melnick does not have a recovery plan for his finances. No. Like, he doesn't have any businesses anymore. No, and this was different in 2003 when he bought the team because he was a big, big guy in the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. So you had that. He had the horse bread. Oh, those fucking horses. The horses. And he had the, the hockey team. So he had multiple streams of income. In 2019... He has... The hockey team. That's it. That's it. And... The guy's too stubborn to let it go. And... You know, I wonder... Uh, you have to wonder... If someone was willing to... S offer him an easy way out... That saves some face if he be willing to take it yeah and i know from what i understand that there was an offer given to buy the ottawa senators and the nhl rejected it because it was less than what seattle was willing to pay for an expansion franchise mm. like that says a lot right there that you we had a buyer out there that was willing to buy the ottawa senators and the nhl rejected it not eugene the nhl the nhl yeah that's a lot so it's it's interesting because I think and I think this really come there's an interesting picture for Senators fans that you have the team is nakedly cynically shedding cost at the expense of what fans are paying. Mhm. Mm and you have an owner who just opens his mouth. 
and says whatever. Yeah, and that was different than when we had Brian Murray because we at least had a filter. Yeah, and uh, and you know we're not going to go through this again. We've talked about it in the past that Brian was the buffer between Eugene and the players, and there was always that story that came out after 2010 where Brian Murray barricaded himself against the door of the locker room after they lost to the Pittsburgh because Melnick was going on a rant. And he says, no, you are not going in there ripping these guys now. Mm-hmm. And I think all of that has led to the whatever woes the team faces today yeah. in the public sphere. And that's, gonna feed, and that's the feedback loop. So even if the NHL does sanction the Senators for cap, cap circumvention, it's just going to lead to more different types of circumvention. Yeah, because I know from what I understand, and I'm just having a look here on the Ottawa Sun website, that currently, as of 2017, the Ottawa Senators are worth $420 million. Yeah. That's just the net worth. Mm-hmm. That's just the franchise. That's not including the debts. Now, whoever buys the team, that's $420 million plus whatever the debts are. Yeah, that would be included. Mm-hmm. Because the debts are on the team team as an asset, not to Eugene Melnick personally. Yeah, because it would be filed, I guess, under Ottawa Senators LLC or whatever, yeah. the corporation. that It's Ottawa Sports and Entertainment is what they're called now, I think. Is it? Okay. Yeah, so they would have all those debts, so the owner would have to pay that. Yeah. Or it would be a condition of sale. We don't know. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting that if the NHL nixed the sale then they've kind of caught themselves in a catch-22. Mm-hmm. Because there was always t- there was talk in the past about... Cirque buying Cirque it. Soleil. In Cirque Soleil, there was a rumor that Cirque Soleil was going to buy the team, and nothing ever came out of that. Mm-hmm. Now, whether... Nothing came about it because the mystery buyer of the team, the one that the NHL rejected, was them. Potentially. But that's the interesting thing, is I think... If the NHL is worried about caps, and here's the thing is the NHL already does a lot to help poorer teams along to avoid this sort of cap floor sink prevention. Like there's escrow, there's redistribution between the teams. Mm-hmm. So there's TBD, splitting of the TV deal money. So it's not like the NHL isn't already doing something. It's that... It's what the what the teams and the owners are willing to put in. Yeah. So it's, I don't think there's much, I really don't think there's much more the NHL can do without being very heavy-handed and having an explicit policy and rule set. I don't, they won't, I don't think they're able to actually do something pro- proper with a transparent rule set, right? Yeah, exactly. As we were saying, you know, in the next CBA contract ending here in a couple of years, Maybe this is something that the NHL and the NHLPA will now bring into into the contract itself, mm-hmm. so they can try and they can do something about this if, say, other teams try this. Yeah, although it's interesting because like you have teams that have gotten very close to the floor, like only above ten percent of it, like the New York Islanders or the Buffalo Sabers when mm-hmm. they were rebuilding, or even the New Jersey Devils, or the Devils, yeah. But they're still healthy franchises. So, like, how... It's going to be very difficult to write up a rule set that targets teams that are shedding salary for a short rebuild versus teams that are 
it's cynically trying to save money to stave off financial inevitabilities. Yeah, it's all going to depend on the language that they put in that contract, too. And given how difficult it is to identify this thing, part of me almost wants to say they, should, they shouldn't try. No, but you know what? If they are going to try, they could use Eugene Melnick as the example, right? Because of the last couple of years and the transactions he's the team has made, there's evidence that he's obviously just trying to save money. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because, like, even... like. Even the latest team to move the Atlanta Thrashers, they were never this bad. No. Like, they weren't they weren't well-managed, but it was never so nakedly obvious. No, because the big problem with the Thrashers is that the ownership didn't run out of money. It was the ownership was fighting, and the, they just stopped putting money into the team. Because they realized they were losing, and then they were trying to move. Yeah. So it's like the thrash, like, it's funny that, like, teams that, the last teams to move, it was very quick. Well, Ottawa has been very drawn out. hmm And I wonder how much of that is a pride thing. Like, the NHL doesn't want to lose a team in a, ho- like, the core of hockey, but I feel like we're just retreading points this time. Yeah, beca- and also, it is a pride thing, but also, the NHL most likely doesn't want to lose another team that they expanded to mm-hmm. in the same way that obviously Atlanta moved and the senators were part of that expansion in the nineties. But so far, I mean, really outside of the thrashers, I mean, they haven't really moved any of the teams. They haven't. Yeah. Like none of the teams folded. The last move was from Winnipeg or was it from Quebec? Uh, no, Hartford. Hartford. Yeah, it was from Hartford to Carolina. Yeah. And a lot of that was... It's funny because those moves, I don't think they were the owners running out of money as the economic and the hockey business. Like, I think the professionalization of hockey killed a lot of teams. It did. And uh, I know uh, the Hockey People's History documentary I keep talking about, they did a whole episode talking about that. They talked how with, say, Gretzky going to Los Angeles, now it de-regionalized the NHL. So you had yep. smaller, like you had markets like Phoenix, Dallas, Tampa Bay, nowadays Las Vegas, who are getting teams, but it's hurting smaller markets like Quebec. It's hurting Hartford. Hartford's. It's hurting Winnipeg. Like these cities under a million people. Yeah, and I think it, Hartford probably was a different story because, and we've talked about this in the past, Hartford was in a very tough spot. When you look at the teams around them. <laughs> Boston, New York, New Jersey. Yep. Well, it's like Ottawa with Toronto, Montreal. Yep. And, uh, wow, well, I was going to say not even Detroit. But, um, yeah. Detroit, too. Honestly. Detroit, and you can even argue Buffalo. Buffalo, or even Boston's not far. Yep. So it's, and it's interesting because if they were to do a wider case study on teams that moved and teams that would require financial help, they wouldn't catch like this slashing and long drawn out thing. Mm -hmm. They would catch people realize it. They would be catching secular shifts in the NHL and the economy. And I think they wouldn't be writing the rule right because the senators are unique. Yeah. And I guess the, the big question is, is, would you want to punish cap circumventors and how do you do it? And ideally I'd be like, yeah, I'd 
like intuitively it makes sense to punish cat floor circumventors, but when you look at the options you have, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense. Well, it's also not so cut and dry, it's right? Not cut because and dry. as you were saying, are you going to punish teams that are doing this for a short rebuild, or are you doing this because the team can't afford it? Yeah, and then if the team can't afford it, your punishment doesn't do anything. It just re- it just re-necessitates the behavior. So, given that I don't think there's any good punishment, I think uh, my conclusions from this discussion have to be cap cap floor circumvention. The senders are doing it harder than anyone else has done. I want them to be punished for it, but there's no reasonable punishment. Yeah. So, they'll have to be allowed to keep doing it. Yeah, and I know that I hopefully, in the next couple of years, we can get a new owner... We can put money into this team and we can come back to finally being one of the top teams that we were 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's all I got to say about this. All right. Well, Tim, that was actually a really great episode. I didn't honestly think we were going to get this much material out of it, <laughs> but you know what? I'm happy that we did it and hopefully the listeners will enjoy it once it comes out. But I guess, I guess we should probably close out this episode for another yeah, night. Yeah, sounds good. All right. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We're on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Sensecast. And because our bot Dave made the mention, we're on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter, at ThirdLinePlug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M91HoneyBadger, and I'm at GreatWayGipser, G-R-A-W-A-T-E, Gipser. If you want to choose an email to talk about the episode that we did this week, choose an email, ThirdLinePlugSensecast at Gmail. Until next time, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys.